0: More than 20 years ago, Formula One almost got a brand new full manufacturer team onto the grid. Honda went as far as building a test car and running it alongside the other teams. But within a matter of weeks, it got cold feet, pulled the plug on the project and teamed up with BAR instead. In doing so, it upset F1 and the other teams. And all these years later, we are left wondering what might have happened if Honda had gone through with starting its own team from scratch. And what better place to do that wondering than a dedicated episode of bring back v10s before we get into honda's aborted project in great detail remember to get your questions and comments in for our series finale using the hashtag bring back v10s on social media and why not leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and ask a question there as well joining me glenn freeman for this look back at the major manufacturer f1 team that never was are scott mitchell and a man who knows a thing or two about working with honda during this era gary anderson Guys, you know the drill by now. We start with the opening question where you have to remember the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about this project. So, Gary, take it away. When, when you think of that that white car, Jos Verstappen turning up in testing, running alongside your Stewart at one point, what's the first thing that comes to mind?
1: Well, you know, we started working, or I started working close to a Honda right at the end of 1997. Um, and it was just one of those sort of things where the project didn't start very well, both from a um, getting it up and running project p- project and basically sorting all the problems out. It took a long time. So I think during that period, Honda Honda learned a lot. I mean, it was called a Mugen Honda with Jordan, but it was actually built by Honda. They learned a lot that they needed to put more into more detail. So uh, as, as sort of 98 uh, unfolded, uh, they more and more wanted to get... Into it themselves. They wanted to be more in control of the whole thing. So I wasn't surprised when I saw them building the car with um, with the Honda people behind it all because, as I say, they wanted to build all their own electronic systems, their engine, they wanted to do everything themselves, really. So it was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a thing that you sort of thought, well, yeah, it could be very good because it's got a European influence, but it could also be very bad because, they're, you know, they're stuck in Japan and they, and they sort of think everything they're doing is the best thing possible. So it wasn't too worrying, but, uh, you know, it was what they were, basically. What about you, Scott? You obviously follow
0: Honda's modern exploits in F1 very closely, when you, when you look back at this, what, what sort of comes to mind when you look at an amazing project like this that could have been?
2: Um, well, the first thing is look, looking at photos now, especially of it, I'm just minded of one uh, enormous nose the car had. It's very bulbous at the front and it's incredible actually to then when you dig de- into it and you think, oh, this thing actually looked quite competitive. Because it looks like it's kind of when you look back and compare it to the cars that were on the grid in '98 and '99, it must look like how people reflect on the basicness of like a HRT or something, and you just think this. It it, look, it it just looks different. It doesn't look as competitive. But I think from a personal perspective, not even like digging into the details of the story, honestly, um, think looking back and thinking of that Honda test car is really really difficult because for for me growing up and sort of falling in love with formula one and being interested in it honda was synonymous with bar it wasn't this its own thing so the idea of a honda team is incredibly incredibly alien so actually digging into the information and realizing just how serious it was is uh, quite eye-opening to obviously someone who was
0: completely on the outside of formula one at the time Autosport Magazine's coverage of this story over the months that it played out was superb. So a lot of what we'll be citing here are reports from the time that appeared there. And Autosport was one of the first places to break the story in March of 1998, when it reported that Honda was considering returning to F1 with its own works team and building its own car. Things went quiet in public over the summer of 98, but during that time, Honda was assessing its options and it briefly entered into discussions about taking over Jordan. Jordan was using Moog and Honda engines at this point. So there was already a connection. And Gary, of course, you were at Jordan at this time. And I think you were probably privy to some of the conversations Eddie Jordan was having with Honda Looking at it from Honda's perspective
1: first, do you think it made sense to explore this option in the way that they did? Well, I think it made sense for all parties, to be honest, not just Honda, because we had a a team up and running. Uh, might not be the best team in the pit lane, but we had a team up and running. There was an infrastructure, there was a factory, there was a program, there was a car. So we we, we had uh, probably a light switch, you would call it. But you know, Formula One has always been about getting in manufacturers, getting involved in manufacturers, and that was what was good for Jordan. For uh, as I say, for Honda, they could just come in and and uh, be part of it very very quickly. But they wanted, you know, they wanted to take it all. They wanted to be to be Honda, uh, and that's where the sort of stumbling block came. To be honest. Um, And they wanted it for different reasons. You know, they understood the fact of the the marketing as far as Jordan was concerned, or Honda. It was going to be a very difficult situation to separate those two. But also the fact they wanted to do it to train their engineers. Um, If you know the way they operate, you know, somebody could be designing a windscreen wiper for a, you know, Honda Civic one day, and the the next day is designing um, a fuel hatch for the refuelling hatch for the for the car or he's designing, you know, the dash panel for a Formula One car. So they just switched people over, but it's their training programme for the engineers and that's what they really wanted to set up. So on one hand, that would have been right for both of us. On the other hand, it needed to be done, you know, differently, I, was, as I would suggest.
0: Yeah, and this was good timing for Eddie potentially as well, because it was around this time he was starting to feel anxious about being the only person in F1 who still owned 100% of a team and therefore, in Eddie's words, carried 100% of the risk and liability if something went wrong with the business. Eddie wrote in his book, I suddenly felt very isolated, particularly with the realisation that this could crash very easily and I could wind up with a massive amount of debt hanging over my head. I had to ask myself if I was completely mad. Different question there, Eddie, but we won't answer it today. Honda got in touch and Jordan had a proposal in mind. Eddie wanted to offer Honda 40% of the team, with the option to buy another 10 or 15% to get control in the future. Eddie's reasoning was, I believe that the value of the team would grow massively and along the way, I would have a secure partner. I would have free engines, better results, better drivers, and the team would be a more viable proposition all round. Every shot would be a goal. Scott, if this had gone through and Jordan had become this sort of works factory Honda mega team, would it have been a win-win for both sides? Um, answering with the benefit of
2: hindsight and the way uh, the Jordan story played out, um, it would. Uh, it's easy to look back and say it definitely would have been been a win. Obviously, Formula One and fans would have been deprived of the joys of Midland and Spiker in the mid two thousands. Um, but I think, g- given what given what Eddie was saying about how serious it was uh, at the time, and it's it sounds like it. For, it sounds like he was already towards the end of the nineties, basically looking a few years into the future and thinking, if this doesn't change, the doors are going to close. And as we know that it didn't come to pass in exactly that way, but ultimately Eddie did need to find a way to, 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 get out. and, so, so, from a Jordan point of view, when you're sort of looking at it and thinking, right, "How are we going to get people to fund this? You know, are we going to even have a proper sponsor for next year?" You can absolutely see the appeal from a team like Jordan's point of view, as long as there isn't too much meddling, as long as the the, the terms, which we'll obviously get into shortly, like aren't too high. For Jordan, you can see the appeal. And from Honda's point of view, it's sort of picking up on something Gary said before. I think it would have been huge for them because they get a massive kick up the backside from working with other cultures. It is difficult. We saw uh, in the modern incarnation of Honda in Formula One, the clash between the culture, not it's not even just an English culture, but the clash of culture between the way the Honda worked on the Japanese side with McLaren versus the Red Bull racing way of working. Very, very different. Different levels of pressure, different kinds of expectations. And it actually can bring the best out of you. You can be quite one-sided if you've got uh, and and working with blinkers on if you think that as Gary said you know the way you do it is absolutely perfect and I know from my experience of dealing with the the modern version of Honda even now when they have been forced through the pure brutality of reality in the in the current era they do still have those moments where they sort of question why people are questioning them and they sort of feel like it should be their way of doing it and you can you can you can imagine that without necessarily having the knowledge and resource of a chassis as well, that partnering with an existing team and with the existing infrastructure in place w- w- was massive. It got to the point where Honda are saying, Oh, uh, "You know, this isn't a, a real. This isn't a real Honda. We're just putting a Honda in the back of, an, of another car, so it's just a prototype." That that would be incredible in modern day F one to be eighteen months, twelve months ahead of entering the sport. And all you're doing is basically bunging an engine in another car and seeing if you could maybe replicate the same. And even in the late 90s, that would have been really, really difficult. So there were clear benefits to, to to both sides. It just obviously would come down to whether or not they each felt that the price
0: was worth paying. And that was the thing. Jordan did think that a deal was close at this point, and we'll get Gary's insight in that in a moment, because as I say, he was he was there for a lot of the talks. But Eddie says Honda then changed their offer and wanted to buy 100% of the team. Eddie wasn't against this, but he asked to retain 10%, and Honda said that was fine, but he couldn't be directly involved. Eddie was confused about that, so he asked why, and in his book, this is what he says about the response. He says, Honda's reply was very interesting. Mr. Jordan, they said, your name and your brand is better known in motorsport at this moment than Honda. In order to replace the name Jordan with Honda, Uh, Eddie says, I had to be off the scene completely. They wanted everyone else to stay on board to keep the wind tunnel and generally develop the team, but they could not risk having me there. I said no. I'm not sure if it was ego, but I asked myself why I had done 25 years of racing, dedicated my entire life to it, and taken so many risks and enormous gambles that by and large had paid off. I felt the Honda offer, or more to the point, the demand that I no longer be a part of my team, was one step too far. The Jordan brand was too strong. In one way, that was a huge compliment. However, in another, the implications with Honda were more than I wanted to accept. So, Gary, you you saw all this going on from inside Jordan. Do you think Eddie's perspective there is, is fair enough? Or is he right that maybe his ego got in the way of a great opportunity for what he built to go on to become something better? And looking at Honda's perspective... Can you understand why they felt they had to do that with the team's identity because of where Jordan was at the time?
1: Well, yes, I think, you know, from what I, I know at the time from being involved in the meetings, um, what Eddie says there is 100% true. Um, it's one of those sort of situations where Honda needed to clear out the top end of the company to get, their, to get the recognition that they wanted as well. Um, so, so it wasn't just seen as being a supply, an engine supply deal. To Jordan, because it doesn't matter how much money you're paying for the company or whatever, it's about what happens next. It's about how, you know, the, the percentage that you own and what you can do and influence from there on in. So, yeah, they, they wanted to buy 100% of the team. I was actually in the meeting at the time whenever it was offered. Um, I mean, the, more or less the chequebook was on the desk, basically, ready to write the cheque. So it was that close. Um, and they wanted Eddie and the, our financial director at that time to step down because, you know, those are the two areas that they they wanted to replace as such, the um, rest of us to stay in position and to get on with it. Uh, you know, I had a pretty good working relationship with Honda and as Scott was saying there earlier, you know, they're not a company that that responds or respects um, criticism publicly, but you can actually sit down with them, you know, in a confined space and you can have massive, massive discussions, heated discussions. And yeah, they, you know, they'll, they'll fight their corner, but at the end of the day, the, you know, Engineering is engineering. If you can prove someone to them, then they will go with you. And I had that respect, I think. I, I had a few of those battles with them. Uh, and at the end of the day, they saw my point of view and responded to it very, very well. And once they actually focus in the direction, once they get the response direction required to do something, there is no stopping them. Uh, it's, it's quite incredible, to be honest. So I think that if they had come in at that point in time and taken over the company completely they would have tried to maybe have influenced a, a slightly from a technical point of view, a bit like Toyota did, that there's certain ways of doing things. Um, but it was a bit, it's a long, you know, it was a long time before the Toyota program came up. So basically it wouldn't be hard to have judged it that way. We would have benefited from having more opportunity technically, a bigger uh, technical base using Honda. Honda was the same with us, with our experience of Formula One. So I think it could have been advantageous for all of us. But as I say, Eddie had put a lot into Jordan, and although he was worried about, you know, losing it all plus a bit more, and he was getting offered very, very good money for the company at that point in time, um, you know, I think a bit of ego was there, and you can't blame him for it. You know, he wanted to keep a, he wanted to be able to walk down the pit lane, but not have that responsibility on his shoulders, which uh, you know, it would be a nice place to be, but it's not very easy to get there. No.
0: And we don't hear any more in public of Honda's plans uh, until October 98, when it goes public with its ambition to run its own team that will most likely join the grid in 2000. And explaining the decision to go it alone, Honda president Hiroyuki Yoshino says, Working with an organization from a different culture would be difficult. So now we are choosing to go by ourselves. Some see it as only risky and expensive. I deeply believe our experience in racing competition is a basic reason for Honda's success. From pressure comes progress, and it also speeds up decision-making. The most important speed in racing isn't just on the track. The real bottom line of racing competition is that it challenges our engineers. And that's the point Gary was talking about earlier, with F1 being such an engineering exercise for Honda. It emerges around this time that Honda has commissioned Dallara to build a fleet of test cars, most likely for testing programs that will run at the same time in Europe and Japan. Jos Verstappen and Tora Takagi are linked to the project as likely test drivers. And Honda gets reassurances around this time from the FIA that it has a guaranteed place on the grid for 2,000. So, Gary, by the time this is public knowledge, I imagine you're at Stuart, how... Inside F1, how monumental did it seem that Honda were coming in, you know, full whack doing their own project?
1: Um, I don't think anybody really sort of took it on that way because it was always difficult to see. It was still going to be a, a sort of part bitzer. In a way, it was a bit like the Haas uh, model right now. You know, it was being built by another company, Dallara. Um, so there was a, an influence from, obviously, the Tyrrell operation, which was closing down. Uh, Harvey Post joining it. Uh, all all good stuff, all good direction. But it did it wasn't seen as being right. Okay, we're, we're investing you know twenty million in this factory or twenty five million, or whatever it would be in, in those days, and um, we're setting up and we're going to employ two hundred people or you know whatever. It didn't seem it was that way around. It did still seem a bit like it was just a you, you know you're poking your finger in the in the pie to see what it tasted like. You just weren't quite sure where you were still going. So I don't think Andy really bought into the fact that this was a real 100% um, works effort coming, you know, going racing. It, it still had a lot to prove before it got to there.
0: And in December 98, the test car is set to run for the first time. Uh, Honda plays down at this time the resources that have gone into the project, saying that the car, which is designed by ex tyrrell man Harvey Possefway, just a prototype and part of Honda's evaluation of an F1 project rather than a firm commitment. Also around this time, uh, word comes out of Japan that for the first time, there is maybe a split within Honda management about how to best go about an F1 project. Legendary former Honda president, Nobuhiko Kawamoto, the man who was famously very close to Ayrton Senna, led the talks with Jordan, and he is now fully in support of a post-weight led Honda in-house project being the way to go. But there are reports of an opposing group in the board who still think buying into a team, and Jordan is still the ideal candidate for that, is what Honda should do. Scott, we'll ask a version of this question later when we've got the full hindsight of the episode. But taking that away for a moment, if you can, if you were Honda in December 1998, which option do you think looked like it made the most sense? Um I... <laughs>
2: probably Jordan and morphing it into a sort of pseudo works team because as Gary was saying and the, the the way it was gonna operate as the the Honda works team, it wasn't really because you had Delara producing the chassis and we know that even even now Delara has a mixed history in Formula One when it comes to producing the top level chassis. And the the fir- one of the things that I you know re- researching it and reading up about it one of the immediate associations i made about this project was thinking oh this is a bit like Haas, and Haas isn't exactly um a stunning formula one team in terms of results at the moment so i i i think if it was if honda were weighing up a genuine or like an authentic works team where they had they had the infrastructure in place uh where they could they could do the do, do the full chassis development in-house they had the proper aerodynamics. So uh, uh, involved you know established technical directors all, all of the nuts and bolts that you need to actually produce a, a top-line Formula One car I think that's quite a different proposition but as soon as you start to get into this kind of messy way of working I guess you've got Honda in Japan where all of the money and expectation is and you've got engine development work being done but then you have the, the I guess the core design work and construction would have been being done in Italy but then it's being outsourced then to a race team in the UK Who then have to have conversation, like strands of conversation with two different parts. And I know that Formula One, even 20 years ago, wasn't as complicated as it is now with you compare the different engines. But how many times have we seen through F1 history that it's when you have everything in one house or you at least have properly clear avenues of communication, that's where you get your results. And Jordan, by this point in the late 90s, is already, is proving itself, you know, to be, not it It, it can be more than just an underdog. It's almost like, it's almost like- They'd
0: won a race by this yeah, point. Yeah,
2: and there, it's actually, you are at that point where you're basically begging for that team to be given a proper go. It's almost like Salba becoming BMW in the mid 2000s. You're like, well, hey, now we'll finally see what this team's capable of. And I, I think a much- more sensible direction at this point is is Jordan simply because you don't have a properly out and out works team on the table it's going to be fractured
0: yeah and i think there were there were plans maybe down the line they got drawn up obviously nothing went anywhere with them to to have a massive factory in the uk and try and do it all there but as you described there Scott you're still going to have the issue of the the japan to uk communication and and all the troubles even just the distance and the time zone creates with that, the car shakes down at the end of December with Verstappen at the wheel. And if you've ever seen pictures of the car, or if you Google them after this episode, you'll probably see it running in all white with the word Honda down the side. But at the very beginning for this shakedown, it had red stripes on it as well. Uh, those images are quite rare, so see if you can find them on the internet. Uh, Honda gets a tyre supply deal with Bridgestone for 1999 for the test car, but at this point, it's not yet clear if it will test in private or alongside the existing F1 teams. In January of 99, Yoshino says Honda is leaning towards doing its own chassis and engine. And he says, I doubt we can win in the first year. It will take three years to be a viable contender. He adds that since the first story broke in March of 98, Honda received several approaches from F1 teams that didn't lead to anything. Possefwaite plays everything down at this point, saying his his outfit, which was known as Honda Racing Development, which we'll now refer to as HRD, that's the UK bit of the operation, has been set up just to evaluate an F1 entry for 2000, and Honda describes his role as technical director during 1999. By this stage, uh, BAR has taken over Tyrrell, so a lot more Tyrrell personnel are starting to come to HRD to work with Harvey. There are also rumours that while Jordan remains in pole position if Honda decides to buy into an existing team, It's also at risk, if it doesn't work out, of losing its Mugen engine deal because Honda may go it alone and decide it doesn't want the Mugen project running on the side. Gary, this is probably a a familiar feeling for you during your time at Jordan, where it could either end up as a works team with a great manufacturer or end up fishing for another engine supplier. Was that just a constant worry during the 90s for a team like Jordan, who was essentially always a customer?
1: Um, Yeah, it was because obviously, you know, changing engines all the time was incredibly tough on a small team I mean, we started in 91 with the the Ford engine then went to the Yamaha, two years with Brian Hart, three years with Peugeot And then on to the Mugen Honda As I say, the Mugen Honda was actually built by, you know, Honda R&D and and, and, uh, Toshigi It was a, you know, it was a proper Honda engine It was a proper Honda people and the the Mugen part of it was the service side in, in Europe but it was, you know, at that point in time I had moved from Jordan, so I'd lost contact with what's going on. I hadn't lost contact with some of the, the people at the circuit that I, I knew pretty well. Um, but it was one of those sort of times when I think, again, Jordan needed to stabilise because that was one of my arguments at the, point, at the time whenever I left the company was that we had a problem with the engine initially. We had a problem with the chassis initially. And I didn't feel that the management of Jordan had the vision uh, of, of giving, opening the opportunity to get those problems fixed and moving onwards. We, you, know, you never build a bad car just because you, build a, you decide to build a bad car. You build a bad car because something's gone wrong that you don't understand. So you have to look deeper and try and understand it all. But whenever you said to, you know, to, the, to the Jordan management that you know, the engine was like 50 horsepower down on the Persia we used the year before, nobody really wanted to hear that because they didn't really understand it. So it was a very difficult situation, but Honda, as I say, the thing about them is just they were an engine supplier to Jordan, and that you were always um, waiting for the phone call to say, look, we decided to do a different route, and that was difficult. Unless you could tie them in and, and become a partner, it was very, very difficult to get that stability to plan for the future, knowing that you, you weren't going to be um, yeah without an engine
0: the next year. Scary time to run an F1 team. You could either get bought by a major manufacturer or have no engine whatsoever. Honda tests at Mugello in private in January and then later in the month it joins BAR, Benetton and Gary's new team, Stuart, for a test at Jerez and Verstappen is quickest by a second in the Honda. So, the leading times were Verstappen on a 1 minute 25.1, uh, Ricardo Zonta in the BAR on a 1 minute 26.1, Jacques Villeneuve in the BAR with a 26.3, and Barrichello in Gary Stewart with a 26.6. We won't go through the rest, uh, but we will give a shout out to Laurent Redon, who was running a 98 Benetton and did a 1 minute 28.2, because that's the only mention he's ever going to get on this podcast. Autosport reports that the Honda ran reliably while the other team's 99 cars all had problems. So maybe that explains some of the pace difference. Verstappen says at the time, the car was running very well and we did very good lap times. It was good out of the box. Although the 99 spec tires are harder, it feels fine. The handling, power and downforce are the best I've experienced. Rupert Mannering, another ex-Tyrrell man who is now uh, head of racing at HRD, plays down the performance saying he believes the other teams can go quicker. We'll get Gary's view on that in a moment, but the test sparks speculation that the Honda is running under weight as a ploy by HRD to convince Honda to press ahead with the project. The team dismisses that and uh, mannering says it would be pointless to test a car that would not be legal to race. We have to create a team and develop a race car that is a lot better than this for 2000, just a couple of weeks after that testing performance, new rules are introduced saying that teams not competing in the world championship still have to comply with the technical and sporting rules during tests. This means Honda and the upcoming BMW Williams test car that is set for action in 99 will now be subject to scrutineering. Now Gary, the Honda is quite famous for being quick in testing, although this was the only time it topped a test and it was against only a handful of teams but your team was there, so do you think
1: they were maybe playing some games at this point to try and convince Honda? Well, being there at the time, um, that was the belief, a little bit, to be honest. You know, it's, it's a difficult thing because all of the other teams were in Formula One, so they had a sort of a structure of doing stuff and a structure of testing. We were, we were going racing, so we had to get through our programs. Um, whether we could have gone faster or not, I don't know. I can't really remember the detail of the test, to be honest. But at the end of the day, I don't think they were doing anything stupid. It was interesting that the, um, the FIA were sort of stepping in to try to make sure that um, that the cars would be legal for testing at that point in time. I never really... Well, we as a team never really noticed that happening. Uh, it never really influenced anything we were trying to do. Um, obviously, you know, we... we as an F1 team, ran the car in a legal specification all the time, other than if you were testing something that stuck out somewhere that wasn't, you know, wasn't within the regulations. But it wasn't, you weren't doing stuff to sort of go faster. But there was a belief that the, the Honda might be running pretty light. Um, it doesn't have to run underweight. It can still be the minimum weight limit um, because you use fuel to bring it up to there. But you know, at the end of the day, it's one of those sort of things, 10 kilograms of fuel, 3 tenths, 30 kilograms of fuel a second would they be running 30 kilograms lighter than 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 we were or than, than uh, Zonta was in his BAR, BAR? There's probably a very good chance. And, you know, I can't say they were or they weren't, but as I say, it doesn't take much to to find yourself a second if you can play around with weight.
0: Yeah, we won't talk about uh, Honda-powered cars using fuel as ballast either. That's, that's a discussion for another time. Uh, Honda joins a much bigger pre-season test at Barcelona in mid-February And there it's up against McLaren, Benetton, Sauber, Jordan, Minardi, Prost and Arrows. So uh, Stewart have their tails tucked between their legs after being beaten in Haref. obviously. Uh, This is the first test since the new rules were announced for cars that are testing and not racing. And uh, Possefweig rather bizarrely referred to that as strange because it's one rule for us and another for everyone else. I'd argue it's the opposite of that. It was the same rules for everybody. Um, But he was clearly a little bit upset about the accusations they were maybe running underweight. Verstappen was ninth fastest at this test, 1.3 seconds slower than reigning world champion Mika Hakkinen in the McLaren. And wouldn't you know it, that put him between the Mugen Honda powered Jordans of Heinz Held Frentzen and Damon Hill. Scott, looking at the times we've dug out to go back over from, from when this car was running against some F1 opposition, do you think these times were more representative of perhaps the performance level? Of the car, I mean, it was running a ninety-eight spec Jordan engine at this point. So, if you're HRD, you'd probably be quite happy to be in and around the Jordans on the timesheets.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can imagine there's at this point still a little bit of eyebrow raising and speculation. I've already uh, established at the beginning of this podcast I didn't think the front end of that car looked like a particularly good Formula One car. Um, but there's obviously they've obviously done a very good job because I I think at this point you'd have to be deploying some pretty gnarly tricks to be that competitive if you built a proper shed of a car. So there's obviously like the, a, a fundamentally good base to, to what they're doing. I think the other thing that, looks, that makes this performance look better and more representative is the biggest spread of teams and proper teams. Because, let's face it, with the... The, the form that BAR was in in '99 going up in your and your first pub, public test or test with other teams present outpacing a BAR by a second is like well which version of the BAR has turned up this weekend uh, or, or, or on on the day especially as in that first test there were the reliability problems so if you say that even if they weren't necessarily pulling any tricks at that uh, up against say the the Stewarts and the um, and the BARs If they've got a little bit of reliability problems, and obviously everyone's doing their own programs and stuff like this, and the HRD HRD guys are like, well, we need to establish how good this car is, trying to push it maybe probably closer to the maximum of their potential, then it's going to make it a little bit more misleading. As soon as you go to a test where as you say, these rules are in in place, you've got a bigger spread of opposition, I think that immediately sort of equalises it. Not to say that they weren't still trying to week out a little bit more extra performance compared to their rivals, but I think at this point, you're probably starting to see why the project's got potential. So this doesn't mean that this car's, if it was on the grid that season with a 98 engine, was suddenly going to be in the top 10 or anything like that. But again, it's more just, okay, the right foundations are in place. And I would imagine that... This would have been the sort of thing that uh, HR HRD would have been looking at and thinking. This is a very very. This is going to strengthen our hand because, as you say, we're we we where we should be in terms of perfor- in performance terms as a new entry, but we've got way more to come in terms of resource and and development potential. It's
0: very hard not to say HRT, isn't it? But they never ran a V10, so we're there not going to talk about them. <laughs> Uh, And it's also worth noting that back in this era we had refueling, um, fuel tanks were a lot smaller, so you didn't get the huge discrepancies in, in fuel loads that you get in modern testing, where a car can suddenly be six seconds slower just because they've stuck a full tank in it. In early March, word gets back from Japan that HRD has asked for a yearly running budget of £125 million from 2000. But Honda is yet to commit to running its own team, and ahead of a board meeting later in that month, there is talk... Yet again, that some people within top management still want to do the tie up with Jordan, even if it's just as an engine supplier. £125 is considered at this time, and this is remarkable when you consider where we are now, to be on a par or maybe even slightly above what Ferrari was spending in F1 at the time. F1 journalist Joe Sayward was also across this story a lot in early 99, and one of his reports on GrandPrix.com said that HRD provided the figure of $125 because it was asked to come up with a worst-case scenario set of numbers so that the Honda board was aware of how much an F1 project could cost. Scott, looking at that, is it logical for HRD at this stage to go to the board and say, if we're doing this, let's do it properly, or was it naive to go in at what were at the time Ferrari levels of spending? Well, with the
2: expectations... um and targets that honda was setting and whether this was publicly or in- internally you've got to go in with the the, the plan of, of doing it properly because even if the the public uh, ambition was maybe slightly lower i think it was a win in the first three years i think was something that they they targeted but they obviously had grander plans than that then you ultimately honda's only going to join f1 for, to, to make itself look good against the opposition. And you can't do that, especially when you're playing catch-up, by spending less than them. You know, a modern example of that is Renault. Uh, so I think I think the correct decision is to go in saying, right, but you know what? If you want to do this, here's how much it's going to cost you. So if you're looking at a five-year commitment with that much money, it's, what, more than 600 million. So that's that's an extraordinary investment, but you're trying to pull off an extraordinary project. The, the problem, I think, that you've got in that situation is you're as soon as you put yourself up against Ferrari financially um, because you want to be measured against them in performance terms w- again this goes back to everything we were saying about the options Honda had on the table you have a situation there where you're trying to commit as much money to do something haphazardly as Ferrari is doing in a unified sense so again if you're putting 125 million pounds a year into um, in, into uh, a cohesive, unified project with very simple direction. I think that's a great thing. When you have a third party in and you're still, you know, that the board's still arguing over the way to go, then I, I, I think that's when that plan
0: starts to unravel. Gary, did you ever, had you ever worked for a team up to this point with a budget of
1: 125 million? Um, I had a few dreams at a time, but <laughs> never quite done it. But, but again, I, I do agree with Scott there. You know, at the end of the day. You have to let them know what they could they could get caught for, uh, and setting it all up and making it all start is is not cheap. Um, so I think that the 125 million, you know, is Harvey came from Ferrari era as well. So you know he knows about the Ferrari budgets. He knows how much they're putting into it. So I, I would say that the Ferrari budgets is probably is probably just a, a cut and paste job um, as, as far as what you might be getting into. So. If you go in there and say, oh, look, we'll do this here for 25 million and we'll, we'll win no championship, you're going to end up with egg in your face. So you're better to start high and come down rather than start low because you'll never go up. So it's uh, it wasn't wrong to ask for that, but it probably did uh, kick the project into, into touch pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, because this is where things start to get messy. We're, we're coming up to the big board meeting where Honda is supposed to be making its decision. Sections of management still remain massively concerned about the potential costs, and you have Honda's American arm, which at this point is doing very well in kart at the time, is a major opponent of the F1 project. As Honda USA is pointing out, it has become very successful in America, racing for a fraction of the cost of an F1 team. Mugen and Honda also stick their oar in at this point, their boss, Hirotoshi Honda, Whose family owns 40% of Honda itself, and he is reported to have said that Jordan could fight for the World Championship with an engine development program that would cost no more than half of the budget HRD is asking for. And he's pushing still for Jordan's Mugen deal to continue, regardless of Honda's plans for its own team. Gary, this all feels like it's starting to unravel. And is the interference from Honda in America and Mugen just a sign of all these different departments in a massive corporation making sure they look after
1: themselves? Yeah, it is a bit like that. I mean, it's one of those sort of silly situations where you've got to look at the big picture. I suppose for for Honda America, they've done a very good job. And don't forget, out and you know, further down this this uh, podcast, you'll find um, whenever the BAR pro- thing pops up that. You know, Adrian Reynard and the Reynard chassis was very successful at that point in time in America with Honda engines. Um, so, at the end of the day, you know, there's influences from that as well coming into it. But, you know, Hiratoshi Honda, he had a good relationship with Eddie. Um, you know, we weren't exactly paying, I wasn't involved at this point in time, but over the period I was, we weren't exactly paying lots of money for the engines. Um, they were a fairly cheap product. So it was a semi works deal with, with Honda, as far as Jordan was concerned. And I think Hiratoshi would have liked to have seen that build and, and be greater, because he he was enjoying himself with the Jordan relationship. You know, he, he and Eddie are not two of a kind by any means, but they're they're not. You know, they are of the same sort of direction of life. They like a bit of fun. Um, so it's, it's it is definitely now starting to get political and influenced by various parts of Honda. And various outside influences starting to listen to different people, I suppose you might call it. And, and that always happens. It's politics. you know. It's always just this mix-up of who's speaking around which corner to who. And uh, you never quite know, to be honest. Somebody has to stand up at the end of the day and make a decision. Um, but at this point in time, I think there's lots and lots of uh, theories coming in.
0: Interesting there that Gary says someone had to stand up and make a decision because the board meeting takes place and it's reported at the start of April that there was no decision at that point on an F1 project for 2000 fate is clearly concerned by this point and uh, months after the project was canned and obviously we'd lost Harvey by this point. Uh, Joe Saywood reported that Posofsky had flown to Japan in early April after that meeting to try to save the project and on April the 5th he sent a letter to Honda managing director Takafumi Hosaka and this is what it said. I wonder if your fellow directors appreciate what a valuable asset they have in HRD. To set up a team from nothing, obtain an entry in the World Championship and build a competitive car in under a year is not only a major achievement but has given Honda a start in F1 which will probably never be repeated. It's clear the board is genuinely uneasy about taking the plunge into F1 and therefore they may decide to stop the project or just revert to being an engine supplier. It is therefore in desperation that I wish to make the following proposal to keep alive the project. That proposal was for HRD to be restructured so it could enter F1 in 2000 as a Honda-supported private team. Honda would own 40%, supply engines, and have the right to buy the team outright whenever it wanted in the future. Possefwaite called this a more logical alternative than merely giving superb engine technology to another team, And he believed it would reduce not only the financial burden to Honda, but also the level of expectation for results at the start of the project. So, Scott, what do you make of that plan that Puzzlewake put to Honda in early April? Do you think that would have made sense or is this just a move to use Harvey's own words, out of desperation. Well, it would have given
2: Honda a better sort of glide path into Formula One because I think it was operating on quite a short timeline. And given the amount of money that was being talked about and ultimately the, the underlying expectation and and targets internally at Honda, uh, I don't think the, the timeline they were working to was necessarily compatible with, quick success because uh, that very rarely happens in in formula 1 so this would have been an op- uh, this would have been an opportunity i think to give honda that more gradual entry um it would definitely have eased the pressure on them to win because it wouldn't have been seen as an out and out works team um and you'd have been able to get less money from uh, honda use the investment in in your way rather than being necessarily subjected to to the, the will of japan um, and also, I guess there would have been a bit more sort of independent opportunity to try and seek commercial um, support from from other companies because there would have been a bit more control over everything. So I, I think, I think there is is rooted in logic. I think it could have worked pretty well had they gone down that route. But I do think fundamentally, from Honda, this the reason he's probably referring to this as desperation is because I don't see why this would fly f- for for Honda because if you've got doubt at board level I think as soon as you give them an out of actually investing properly and doing this properly as an out and out Honda project I think they take it and if they take it I don't think you ever get it back the whole point about justifying going to them and saying look this could cost you 125 million pounds a year to do this properly is because you want to make sure that they're realistic it's much easier To give a company like Honda a budget of 125 million a year and then take that down 20 or 30 million, then get them to put in 40 or 50 million a year to
0: begin with and then ask them to double it. That's a really good point. And just a week later, it's reported that BAR is in talks with Honda about a works engine supply for 2000. So, as Scott said there, no smoke without fire. BAR has a contract with Supertech for 99 and 2000. And Supertech boss Flavio Briatore is claiming the buyout clause of that deal would be £9 million. Meanwhile, uh, Hiratoshi Honda is still pushing for Jordan to get Honda's engines, if that's the route Honda goes with. Speculation is intensifying by this point that Honda has been too put off by that figure of £125 million per season. And we get the first mention in early April that it could cancel the project altogether. And PossibleFake declines to comment on that. Scott, once these BAR rumours arrive into the picture, is this the first real sign that the HRD project is not going to happen? I
2: think so. And judging by what the speculation was at the time, that is how it seemed to be interpreted. Uh, I can see why Honda was sort of starting to get cold feet because i my guess would be that they were starting to worry that there wouldn't be the sort of return on investment that they would need, especially once you have, as you mentioned before, and we were talking about before, a few other parties start to poke, like you know, prod, start to prod from the outside and stick their oar in. So I guess from a, a Jordan Mugen point of view, you, you, Honda would be looking at that and thinking, well, our product is already a race-winning product in Formula One, and all we're doing is supplying engines. Um, we've given these guys some resource to build their own car and they're only really sort of midfield. I, I, while it would have been unrealistic to expect the HRD car to turn up in testing and be quickest on merit, I think you are, when you're talking this much money, these sort of firms are looking for that sort of instant response. So I think as soon as it's, as soon as you realize how much doubt there is there I, I I see them sort of looking at right what actually are our options outside of this and it's all well and good saying it's just a choice between do we just crank up what we're doing with Jordan or do we do it properly ourselves because at that point I guess the guys on the HRD side are just thinking okay well it's, it's us or them and if we keep doing a really good job we'll convince them but then you st- have, when you have another entity in the mix, you realise just how seriously they're considering their, their alternatives. And with BAR being a, an organisation with grand plans of its own and wanting to produce that sort of infrastructure that HRD would never have been able to do if the likes of Delara were building the chassis for them and that sort of thing, I think all of a sudden that can spiral pretty quickly into suddenly BAR being almost like a best of both worlds. It's, it's BAR suddenly becomes this extra option that's somewhere between the pseudo works team that is HRD, Delara in Italy and Honda and just being another customer engine team that you, you give a bit of a boost to.
0: And the test car is still running at this point and news uh, we get the tragic news from Spain that Possilfei has died of a heart attack. There's an outpouring of appreciation for what he achieved in his career, most notably in his stints with Ferrari and Tyrrell. Uh, Gary, how how do you think we should look back and remember Harvey Postlethwaite's time in F one?
1: Yeah, I, you know, he was in a long, long time. I remember him way back in the Hesketh days. You know, we we um, we both sort of were there right at the beginning. Um, him being obviously the engineering side, and me being a mechanic before I uh, sort of got promoted a little bit here and there. But uh, you know, Harvey was he went you know he went around the teams a bit. He, he obviously spent a couple of times at Ferrari. And the one thing he said to me, he says, is that if you ever go to Ferrari, first thing you do is, you, said, you take your business, their business card they'll give you, and you write how much they're paying you know, on the back of it, and you put it in the top drawer of your desk. And whenever you're sitting there thinking, I can't stand this anymore, these people are bloody crazy, open the drawer and have a look at the back of that card, and then just sit down and get on with it. Um, which is probably good, good, uh, good advice, really. Um, I don't think anything's changed, really, right at the moment either. But No, he, he was a good guy. Uh, I, I knew Harvey pretty well not as closely as you know I never actually worked with him as such but through all the the stuff that went on during Ayrton Senna's um, death in Imola in 94 and a a technical working group and you know he was a major part of that with with a representative from every team but he was one of the ones that you could have classified as a fairly stable uh, influence on things that were going on didn't get too excited about all that sort of stuff because he'd been around for a long time so uh, yeah good guy and really you know whenever i heard that news i just uh, i couldn't believe it
2: there was a really good uh jonah lacy quote in the extensive research that you do for these episodes glenn where he uh he described harvey as having a very very mediterranean temperament <laughs> <laughs> but he was very kind as well very nice nice when he wanted to be and screaming when he had to scream um i th- that's why i think he was he, he was able to make the, the Honda stuff work early on and he would have been such an asset had that, that p- project persevered because as Gary and I were saying right at the very beginning, that's exactly the sort of thing you need, I think, for a team like, uh, for, for an organisation like Honda. You need someone that's not going to be, you know, taking clumps out of them in, pu- in, pu- in public but behind the scenes is able to, you know, get tough when, when they need to be told off because they're not actually sort of
0: working properly in, in, in partnership. And in the same... Week that we had uh, the news of of Harvey's death, there were already reports that Honda had decided against the plan to run its own team. Uh, Honda does issue a comment saying that Possefwait's death didn't affect anything regarding its plans. But at this point, it now looks like BAR and Jordan are in the frame to get works Honda engines instead. Uh, Scott, there's a common misconception around this project that it was canned as a result of Possefwait's death. But looking at the timelines closely here, and thank you for plugging the research I did, by the way. But people want to know why there's been such a long break since Series 1. It's because these episodes take ages to put together. Uh, but looking at that research in depth and looking at the timelines properly, is it fair to say that Honda was already going in another direction by, by the time of Harvey's death?
2: Yeah, it does seem that the, the consensus was that Honda had already made the decision. If not, it was massively leaning that way. Um, and as I said before, you start to have these different options open to you, and that's supplying engines to more than one team and then basically incorporating one team to have a bit more support than the other. Um, so Honda was probably right when they said that Harvey's death didn't change anything because they were already going down the, 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 the path of, uh, of aborting it. And I think once you, I think the, the decision then probably turned to, um, right, we're not going to do the works team so how are we going to maximize our opportunities to at least escalate our formula 1 involvement so then what's that is that bar becoming the works team does 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 mugen still continue in in the way that it's doing does it get relegated are we literally just going to chuck a few of the um, second rate engines to to another team and and that sort of thing so i i think it's a bit too convenient uh, and convenience a, 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 a harsh word to use considering it sort it, surrounded someone's death but I think it is a bit of a convenient excuse to sort of say look back and say oh this was this was the reasons it looked like considering how long and deep-rooted the doubt was in the project there's no way that however significant a person Harvey was and however brilliant he was and everybody's testimony speaks volumes to that one person doesn't make the difference when it's a company in Japan deciding
0: whether to spend 600 million pounds on something and within a few days uh we get reports that bar has secured works honda engines for 2000 no one at hrd has been told of a change of plans although it's understood that the test car project could keep going to help develop the new engine for 2000 in early may mika salo signs a test deal with honda to join up with verstappen already at this point that is expected to be as a development engine that bar may eventually get Salo ended up quite busy in 1999 being super sub uh, with BAR initially and then Ferrari. So I'm not sure he ever drove this car. Uh, Interesting contract that he signed anyway. Honda deciding against running its own team does cause some upset in F1 where the final team slot on the grid had been reserved for them. Bernie Eccleston is annoyed and says, we want to make sure we don't have this problem again. While the teams already on the grid are upset because they thought Honda's arrival would, would fill all the slots that were available and would then mean that Toyota would have to buy its way onto the grid, meaning a big payday for one of the independent owners. That prompts talk that the teams are complaining to the FIA and asking for the limit on the number of teams to come down from 12 to 11, but the FIA says that limit uh, was never intended to enable owners to treat their slot on the grid as an investment opportunity. How times have changed 20 years later. Gary, did you have any sympathy with the teams complaining here? And and were you or even Jackie Stewart annoyed along these lines? Um, It seems that the F1 grid rolled out the red carpet for Honda and then Honda never
1: turned up. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's it's always difficult to know because, you know, investing in anything as a team has done um, is an investment in your future. You don't want to be just putting loads and loads of money into your infrastructure and equipment and all that sort of stuff just to, have it of no value at the end of the day just because you want to go motor racing you know i think Stewart's a, a typical example of 1990-2000 of, uh, in selling to ford um you know that could ford have come in and, and started their own team you know who knows or jaguar as it was um but jackie had a good relationship with ford and, and convinced them to you know that it needed that investment so you know, he did, I suppose, instead of having works Cosworth engines as we had, which were owned by Ford, you know, he did the Honda route um, in selling the company to the manufacturer. Uh, he did the HRD route as opposed to becoming the BAR with just the works engines in the back of the car or the, or the Jordan with just the works engines in the back of the car. So he did exactly what Honda were, what HRD were, were trying to do and, and pushed the team across and obviously made some money out of it on the way. Um, but it, as far as the teams are concerned, it's your your value as a, as a team is only as good as the team's success really is. To be honest, so you know things all cost money. Again, BAR bought Tyrrell because they needed to get into Formula One because there was a limited amount of entries. So that's always gone on. But I wouldn't sympathise with any of the teams. You know, I don't think there's too many poor team owners that have seriously. Spent some time in Formula One being reasonably competitive. I think they've all gone away with a better uh, return than than what they put into it.
0: There's plenty more fun to come in this story as well. We're not done just yet. And the first uh, issue we have is that Honda and BAR can't talk about the deal or even confirm it during May because there's a legal row going on behind the scenes with Supertech and Flavio Briatori. Pretoria is understood to now be demanding B.A.R. pays its full contract amount of £16 million pounds, rather than the previously reported £9 million break clause. Flavio says, I want B.A.R. to race with me until 2000. If we were not here, B.A.R. would not have made its race debut this season. They signed a contract with my company and they must respect the contract. When the B.A.R. Honda deal finally gets announced at the end of May, BAR boss Craig Pollock says splitting with Supertech was purely a business decision. He goes on to say, I had no choice. Who gets to win championships now? Williams won its titles with a works deal from Renault and then saw a decline in performance when Renault left. Since then, it has been Mercedes and Ferrari engines that have led the way. Only a works deal is going to help a team win. Scott, there probably aren't too many things Craig Pollock did at BAR that will earn him huge amounts of praise. But... I think we have to give them a hand for this one, don't we? Yeah,
2: I mean, it is a little bit similar to the noises we were hearing from McLaren in 2013 and 2014 when we all know how that turned out when they... Oh, it was Honda as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I understand this completely because you you set up a... When they set up an organisation that they're hoping to, um, you know, make massive waves, obviously huge uh, fanfare and promise when BAR entered Formula One. Um, and... The, the option of uh, switching with uh, of sticking with Supertech rather uh, versus the potential to become a, a you know works partner with potentially much bigger uh, investment and implications in the future so it's a it's a it's a no brainer it's also the the sort of thing that is just a perfect PR opportunity isn't it because it's a it's a huge win for a small organisation and I guess at the time as well, you can spin it into saying, you know, partnering with us was a better option for them than actually creating their own works team. That's how good we are. So I think, yeah, you're right. This is a, a bit of a no, bit of a no brainer, especially because this was a team that, you know, it was so well funded that it wasn't like BIR had commercial restrictions and wasn't entirely sure how it was going to continue. So from both sides that actually ended up emerging as uh, quite a sensible route to, to go down. And ultimately, on reflection, I think uh, Pollock and everyone associated with BAR will consider 9 million, 16 million, 30 million well spent to get out of a Flavio
0: Briatori contract. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, just before the deal is announced, or while it's announced, the HRD test car is still running, and that team is actually at a test when they are told just before the news goes public what's happening. Honda president Yoshino San says, We would like to concentrate on the technological side, and we think we should put our resources into that rather than the efforts to run a team. We had requests from several teams to supply our engine. Among them, only BAR, which is a new team and has more flexibility in their decision-making, could reply positively to our desire that we want to develop the chassis together. I'm sure the fact they had Jack Villeneuve on the driving side uh, was a big appeal (laughs) as well. Craig Pollock adds, Our deal with Honda is more than just about a supply of engines. They will be involved in chassis development, and anything else they can help us with, they will. That is why so many other teams were after this deal. I think Honda has chosen us because we are a new team and we have an open philosophy. We are a very clean operation. I said earlier, when we got to the end, we would look back on this all with hindsight and pass harsh judgment 20 years on. That's the beauty of Bring Back V10s, is that we have all the facts and then we can judge what people did at the time. So, Gary, the ultimate question here is, was Honda right to go down the route it chose in the end, rather than the initial plan of entering its own team from scratch?
1: I think Honda were right to go down the route it chose. Uh, I would have chosen to go with Jordan because I think Jordan were a better team at the time than BAR. Uh, The philosophy, the open philosophy, would have been there. I mean, I wasn't part of Jordan at this time, so I'm not fighting my own cause. I'm just saying that I think that the Jordan structure was a better solution to the problem. But I think, again, as I said earlier, Adrian Reynard being involved with the, the IndyCar program and Honda out there and also involved with BAR. Was quite a decent influence in it. I mean, as Craig Pollock says, the business decision. If the contract with Bria was sixteen million, Honda would be replacing that by probably a thirty million pound, a thirty million pound spend. So you got a forty-six million switch, which is a good business decision for anybody. And he's right again that you need to have that stability of engine supplier behind you that's what's that's really what a works deal gives you it gives you the stability to just go on from year to year and learn and learn together so yeah i think that was the right decision for them because after harvey's death you know he was a mainstay of the of the hrd project um and they say okay it didn't influence it but they did have to sort of like start to sort it all out again with another you know another technical director and another leadership direction and what, all that stuff so you're basically starting again with the HRD project, whereas these, the, the BAR project and the Jordan project were were there. The light switch could be switched on on a Monday morning. But as I say, from my point of view, I think the Jordan solution would have been a better solution than the BAR solution.
0: What do you reckon, Scott? You've, uh, you've spent plenty of time trying to work out what Honda should and shouldn't do in recent years. How do you look back on this one?
2: It is... Um it is tricky. I I, th- I agree with Gary that I think they did go down the right route in the end. I think they should have made the decision sooner. I think that unless the learnings that uh, they got from H R D were crucial in any kind of chassis development for for B A R, and there was obviously some some reports around the time that Honda was already pressuring B A R to to use its test car as the basis for a, for a new chassis, so already some nice Honda meddling early on with a matter it probably didn't know a great deal about. Uh, but then, I guess on the BAR side, they also had some money going into it, so it was all round a, a much more reduced expense for for Honda. Um, I just think it probably could have been managed better from the beginning because it was quite. It's quite easy to say in hindsight, but the way in which they get cold feet does suggest that they didn't quite think it through the whole way, and maybe they either underestimated the the amount that they would need to put in, maybe they underestimated um sort of the complications of a sort of multi or a multinational organisation and set up with people in different places maybe they overestimated the job that um, that harvey and co would be able to do with a with a small team and they expected uh, a bigger uh, a bigger return on investment immediately but whatever happens i think they just left that sort of process in the middle rolling on too long this could have been so much easier if they would just had a little bit more leeway at the beginning with jordan and then both sides would have benefited from that the um w- what i like about it is it is what a, what an incredible incredible what if because if that if honda make a decision differently do we get mercedes and their domination of formula one now wow
0: yeah that's that's a hell of a jigsaw um and we've already gone on for too long, so we're not going to try and answer that today. And besides, the Mercedes engine we have today is, is four cylinders short to be of, of my interest at the moment. So we will we'll leave things there for now. Um, then we will come back to Honda and Jordan versus BAR in the early part of the 2000s because we have an episode based on something that happened in 2002 where uh, that was in the news. And uh, there weren't many things that happened in 2002, so you might be able to work out what the main topic is there but we hope you enjoyed this episode and make sure you tell your friends about us keep your comments and questions coming in using the hashtag bringbackv 10s for our series finale and we'll answer as many as we can we'd love to hear your episode suggestions as well our list of future episodes is incredibly long already but we're always happy to add to it and guarantee more series of this in the future For now, we're done with Honda's aborted F1 project. And next week, we're heading back almost 10 years to the 1990 French Grand Prix, where a plucky underdog team with a car designed by an emerging technical mind called Adrian Newey came heartbreakingly close to taking a shock victory. We'll talk about that and all the other stories that were going on in F1 around that time. So make sure you join us for episode three.